we're going to be talking about this morning. The love of Jesus and the love that Jesus wants us to have. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love us. We're here to tell you this morning that we love you. Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit, the anointing to be here this morning, to reveal the truths in your words to our hearts, so that we'll be changed, that we'll learn from the word how we're to act and how we're to react in every situation. We'll be led by the Spirit according to the principles set forth in the gospel. Father, we thank you that you long to see us love each other. And Father, we ask today that these truths will bring us closer to that perfect love that you desire in each one of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, there are many kinds of love. In the Greek language, there are several. There's one called Thorhe, one called Eros, where we get our word erotic. There's one called Philadelphia, which is brotherly love. There's one called Phileo, which is the natural kind of friendship type love. But the type of love I want to talk about today is agape, agape love. And that's the kind of love that Christ has for us. He has for his children, and Christ has for his body. If you take notes and you want to know how to spell agape, that's it right there. By someone stood a gate. Brings into a lot of confusion to know what love really is. We hear so many different things. I love chocolate cake. Well, I just love these hoedown meetings where we get to clap and stomp. Or I, you know, I love this TV show. Or I love it. We throw the word love around so much. And even in the body of Christ, we throw it around. We go to people and say, I love you. And we tell the man on the street, I love you. But do we really know what we're saying when we say love? You go to people and you say, tell me what love is. And they say, oh, oh, that's hard, you know. You ever ask somebody, have you seen like on TV, sometimes they try to interview people and they'll say, what is love? And all these people start rubbing their foreheads and say, well, you know, you really, they say, well, you really can't define love. You just kind of have to describe it. Then you see these little cartoon things where they have these two little people, a little, little guy and a little girl, and they have this little caption underneath and they say, Love is, you know, say some cute little phrase, like holding hands together in the rain, and, you know, sharing a chocolate soda. Love is this and love is that. And we try to describe love. The world does, and we as Christians try to describe love so many times. But we never can really put our finger down and say, that's what love is. Can't define it. We often say, oh, you have to describe it. You can't define love. Well, this morning, I want to show you from the word that the word defines what love means. There is a definition. And that definition is all-encompassing. You'd have to do a big study to find out all the attributes of love, all the descriptions of love, but to find that definition of what love is, then to turn to 2 John. Let's turn there. 2 John. Now, John would know what love is. He would know because, do you remember, the, the word says that he was the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, if God is love, and the word says that God is love, and Jesus is God... John got it right from the source. John got love right from the source. He got it from Jesus, who is God, who is love. So John would probably be the best man to tell you what love is about. And he speaks more about love than anybody else in the New Testament. Rightfully so. Second John, verse 5, beginning with verse 5. John says, And now I beseech thee, lady, I'm speaking to a lady here, but this is for all of our edification, not as though I write a new commandment unto thee, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. Now let me ask you, who gave that command to love one another? Jesus. Jesus said, love one another. Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Even as God for Christ would have forgiven you. Paul said that. Jesus said, you see how I've loved you? Love each other the same way. So that's why he's just reiterating the command that Jesus gave. Now, underline this, mark it in with a highlighter pen or whatever, because this is your definition of what love is. 
This is the definition, not a description. This is a definition. And this is love. Webster's Dictionary could write this in as the biblical definition of love. This is love. That we walk after his commandments. So tell me, what is love? What is love? Obeying Christ's commands. Obeying Christ's commands. And this is the commandment that as you have heard it from the beginning, from Jesus, you should walk in it. So, what is love? Obey, let's say it together. Obeying Christ's commands. Let's say it again. What is love? Obeying Christ's commands. Now, we've got to get this down. Because when people come to you and say, well, I love this person, or I love God, that's remember your definition when you're counseling with them or, or even sharing with them. Now, this isn't a common definition. You're not going to hear this very often. They'd rather describe love. Go to 1 Corinthians 13. Love's not boastful. And that is good. 1 Corinthians 13 is good as a descriptive chapter. And we'll be getting into that later. But as we're defining it, let's stick with John. Now, this verse is not out of context. I didn't just pick one verse out of the Bible and say, this is it. Because I want to show it to you. Go back to John, the 14th chapter. John chapter 14. Again, John's the man who would know. Love is obeying Christ's commands. Beginning with verse 21 of chapter 14. He that hath my commandments, and what? Keepeth them. Whoever owns a Bible, by the way, has the commandments of Jesus. You know that. If you hold a Bible in your hand, you can say, I have the commandments of Jesus, but that's not enough. It says, And keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. And Judas saith unto him, now this is not Judas Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us, and not unto the world? Now if Judas had been listening carefully there, he would have caught it already. They had his words, but they weren't keeping them. Jesus says, if a man love me, if you want love, if you want to know what love is, keep my word. If a man love me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Now, verse 24 gives the opposite side of the coin. He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings. We could switch that around and say, he that keepeth not my sayings, loves me not. If we're going to love God, it's more than just, we'll praise you, Jesus. More than just, oh, praise you, Jesus. It's when Jesus said, my word to do this, the Holy Spirit says, this is in your life. You say, Abba, Father, whatever you want, it's yours. Obedience to the commands of God. That's what love is. Don't let anybody tell you that love is an emotional experience. It is not an emotion. It is a decision. It is a decision. Love is not an emotion. It's a decision. Amen? That's right. Are you seeing that in the Word now? Chapter 15. Flip the page. Beginning with verse 9. As the Father hath loved me... So have I loved you. Now here's our job here. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus said, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Now Jesus loved the Father too because he did only what the Father told him to do. Now if we love Jesus, we'll do only what Jesus tells us to do. Isn't that right? Jesus got his commands from God the Father. He said, God loves me and I love God. Because of that, I'll do what he tells me to do. Now we drop down to our next level. Christ, the head of the church. We are the church. We look up to Christ and say, we love you. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. We look down. He looks down and says, ah, you're keeping my commandments? I love you. If we don't keep the commandments, we don't love him. Isn't that right? You see that from the word? 
We can also prove our love for each other by doing the same thing. Go back to 1 John now. 1 John, the fifth chapter. You might be saying, okay, this is fine, this love stuff about obeying, keeping commandments as far as love between us and God, but what about between our fellow man? What about our brothers and sisters in Christ? Look at verse 2. By this we know that we love whom? The children of God. When we love God and what? Keep His commandments. For this is the love of God. Another time for definition, just a reinforcement of the definition in the next book. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. We keep His commandments. Now let's go back up to verse 2 there. Up to this time, we always talked about is our love between us and Jesus, us and God. But now, he brings it down to home. There's love for the body of Christ. He says, if you really love your brothers and sisters in Christ, you're going to love God and you're going to keep His commandments. Let me reverse that. If you don't love God, you don't keep His commandments, you don't love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's go on to the end of verse 3 there. We keep His commandments and His commandments are not grievous. Now we can take that two ways. He could be making a statement or he could be making another condition. I'll let you be the judge of that. I like to go that he's doing both. He's saying, number one, if we love God and we love his, the children of God, we'll keep His commandments and they won't be a pain to us. They won't be, the word grievous means burdensome. They won't feel like it's really heavy. It's going to be easy. Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So you'll hear some people say, oh, serving God, obeying Jesus is so hard, baloney. Try serving the devil. If you say that, you probably already are serving the devil. He would say that. His commandments are not burdensome. So many people say, yeah, I obey the word. Yes, I do this. I tithe. I do this. Boy, it's a pain in the neck. I go to church every time the door is open. Why? Because the Word says so. I fellowship with the body three or four times a week. Well, why do you do that? Because the Bible says I have to do it. We really love God. We won't have that kind of an attitude. His commandments are not burdensome. It's no big deal. Say, hey, the Lord wants me to go to church seven times a week. Glory to God. I'm going to get blessed because I'm obeying the Word. And I take joy in obeying the Word. Now, I want to make a delineation here. We talked about the definition. Now we're going to talk about the delineation. Delineation between them that love God and those who don't love God. And the Bible makes a distinct difference between the two. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 8, and we sing this chorus all the time, but I think this will, now that we understand what the definition of love is, it brings a whole new ball of wax into consideration. He that loveth not knoweth not God. What does it mean that you don't know God? What does that mean? It means you're lost. Plain and simple. What does love mean? Obeying Christ's commands. You put it another way. You don't obey Christ's commands, you're none of His. You don't know God. God does not know you. Now, did I say that? Yes, I said that. I'm simply telling you what the Word says. He that loveth not, and they give the definition in the same three books, he that loveth not, he that obeyeth not Christ's commands, knoweth not God. There was the body of Christ. On the other side of the fence, glory to God, everyone that obeys Christ's commands, everyone that loveth, is born of God and knoweth God. That means that God knows him. That means Jesus says, you're one of God. You're born of God. You're God's child. That's the difference. 
He that loveth not knoweth not God. Now many will come to him in that day and say, Lord, Lord, have we not done this, that, the other thing? And he'll say, depart from me, you cursed, I never what? He knows why. Because he didn't obey. And he's going to say this, because you did not the will of my Father. You didn't follow my Father's commands, which were given through me. Do you see what I'm getting to? Do you see that? He's going to say, I never knew you because you didn't love. Because you did not love. You didn't obey my commands. Now that's hard. That's hard. But it's all right here. It's all right there. Consequently, someone in the state of loving not, really in the state of rebellion to God, whether they realize it or not, they might think, and it's obvious that many will think that they're serving God because they'll say, Lord, Lord, haven't we done this, that, and the other thing in your name? And he says, I never knew you. You missed base one. You missed first base where it says, obey my command. Don't let them be grief. Don't let them be burdened. You say, I don't want to be accused of being very negative all the time and condemnation-oriented, because there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Isn't that right? So if you're doing that, you don't have to worry about condemnation. There isn't any for you. Glory to God. So don't, if, if this is a problem, all, all you have to do is get this straightened out. And just the fence over to here. The good side is submission. I the Father. I love you. You tell me what to do, you've got it. Anything you say, it's yours. And what is the reward for that? The reward is eternal life. Praise God. That's just one of the rewards. That's our final end result reward. We got rewards down here, though, you can't even know. If what? We love. And what is love? Obeying Christ's command. That's our promise if we obey Christ's command. Now, contrary-wise, rebellion leads to eternal death. He that loveth not, knoweth not God. Because God is love. And if they know not God, God's already said, I don't know you. Now, end of First John, the third chapter. Now, the Bible says, the word love our neighbors as what? Ourselves. And we're to do to others as we would have them do to us. If I'm walking along a road and I'm just kind of looking around like this, and I'm about to step off a cliff, and you're behind me, and you're not looking around like I am, you're watching the road. I'm about to step, step right over the edge, and I'll be down about 100 feet on some sharp rocks, and that'll be the end of me. I would appreciate it if you would get, grab my attention somehow and say, don't take that next step. I would really appreciate that. I would appreciate it if you would warn me if I was about to end my life real quick. I would appreciate for you to say, hey, uh, Jeff, the next step to do this. Don't take it. Okay? If I'm going to love you and you're going to love me as you'd love yourself, you would probably do that. Wouldn't you? If you loved me as you loved yourself, I mean, you probably wouldn't go jump over a cliff. Probably wouldn't because you love yourself and you don't want to mangle what God created on a bunch of rocks down a hundred feet. 
You would warn me because you'd want me to warn you, right? Now, would, would you come over and see me if I take that step and say, Jeff, I love you. <laughs> I think, wonderful. Oh, great. They love me. And on my way down, I think, liar. They didn't love me. You realize that Jesus, now once is it recorded in the scriptures where he said the phrase to somebody, I love you? He never said that. Not recorded in the scriptures where he actually said, I love you. Did you know that? Nowhere. He said, love others as I have loved you, but he never walked up and said to somebody, he said, I love you. But yet, John and Paul said, the great love wherewith he hath loved us. But he never told them that he did. That's funny. Actions speak louder than words, the old phrase says. He didn't have to say, I love you, because his actions showed it. Now, I could be about ready to fall over that cliff, and you could say, I love you, and I'd fall over the cliff and say, baloney, you don't love me. You said it with your words, but you didn't say it with your, do it with your actions. Look at, we already asked you to turn to 1 John 3. Look at verse 18. 1 John 3.18, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in what? In deed and in truth. Now, if you would have said, I love you, as I'm about to go over the cliff, you would have loved me in word and in tongue, and it wouldn't have done a bit of good for me. But had you grabbed my arm or said, Jeff, don't take that step, you would have loved me in deed and in truth. Isn't that right? You would have, would have not just said you love me, you would have shown me you love me. And I wouldn't have to turn around and say, after you pulled me back from the cliff, I wouldn't have to I wonder if they love me. It was pretty self-evident. You pulled me away from that cliff, you must love me. Or at least like me. But if you let me go over the cliff, you didn't love me, baloney. The same way. How many people do we see walking this path? All around us. In our very midst, people walking this path. That we know that the Bible says this, that, the other thing. And we see them walking down that path to that big gulf called hell. That big cliff that once you've gone over the edge, that's it. They say, ah, I love you. Love you, brother. Praise God. Go on. Here, let me give you a hug. I believe in that day they're going to, if, if we do that, they'll point the fingers at us and say, You didn't love me. You loved me in word and in tongue, but you didn't love me in, in deed and in truth. Tell you, think about that for a minute. A lot of people we see taking that path. Okay, love you. True love would be to say, hey, stop a minute. See down there on the path? Down there on the path is a big gulf called hell. Once you're in, that's it. My word to you would be, avoid that. You really love them. You do that. You say, hey. And it's not something you conjured up in your mind. If you say, hey, the Lord says that that is there. That those that do these things, whatever it is, will end up in hell. 
And I say, get this straight. I'm not telling you this. The Word is telling you that those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. <sighs> That's love. Now, once you've told them, they have every right in the world to either say, huh, you know, you're right. That is there. Well, I'm not going that way. They can turn. Public ten. They can turn. Walk the other way. Or they can say, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Or they can get mad at you and say, What are you talking about? Here's it. But what is love? Obeying Christ's command to tell them. Preach the word, be it in any season, out of season, they don't rebuke with all long suffering and doctrine. That's the command. If you don't obey the command, you don't love God, and you don't love this person. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And if we're going to come to the place where we say, we see this person walking toward that gulf of not inheriting the kingdom of God, and we say, well, yeah, that's what the Bible says, all right. Oh, that gulf's not there. It's not really there. I mean, when you walk up to it, you'll find it'll disappear. Well, where do you get that? Well, that's what I think. I mean, that's the way God is, right? So they think, yes, yes I love you. Yes, I'll fellowship with you. Yes, wonderful, wonderful. They come down and they, yes, glory to God, and Jesus, wonderful. And, Oh, fell down in the hole. That hole's not really there. No. Baloney, that hole is there if the Word says it's there. Isn't that the truth? If the Word says the hole is there, it is there. And you can convince yourself that the hole is not there. You can say, oh, yeah, I know that's what the Bible says, but, you know, God and His grace and in His mercy. The only place we know of God's grace and mercy is through what? the Word. That's the only place you're going to find God's grace in this is the Word. That's the full extent of it right there. He's not going to go outside of His Word. Never. He won't do that. Let me say something about, I said, there are some people on this path, even in our midst. You know, the Bible says that a lot of times you're not going to be able to tell. Talking about the parable of the wheat and the tares. It says they grow up together. They look the same. They look the same. You go out to the field and say, Let's see, It'd be a real pain to have to go through and pluck them up. And the parable says that the, the owner of the field said, Hey, don't worry about plucking them up now. Because when the final judgment comes, when the day of harvesting comes, the wheat will be separated from the tears. When we know that there are tares around us, we don't warn them of the coming harvest. We are held accountable. Plain and simple. To him that knoweth to do good, to obey the commands of God, to love, and doeth it not to him it is sin, and God will judge sin. The word says God will judge sin. Amen? Amen. There's a lot of difference between loving in word and in tongue and loving in deed. I don't know about you, but if I was on my way to hell, I'd certainly want somebody to tell me about it. 
I wouldn't want them to put a pseudo-Christianity over on me. One that, oh, God understands. Yes, God understands. In his word, he says, I understand that, that this is my law. It says, you're going to sow what you reap. And you reap what you sow. You're going to reap what you sow. You're going to pay the price. That's my love. That's my mercy. That's what it amounts to. We really love, we're going to obey. And like I said, agape is often described as being the type of love that will always do whatever is best for the other person. Always do whatever, whatever is best for the other person. Now, take it back to dealing with your children as an example. If your little kid goes around and slugs everybody, you don't say, oh honey, that's okay. That's all right. No, you think, oh, but that's going to hurt him, is it? What's going to hurt him worse if he keeps on slugging and then later on gets chains and sticks and later on gets guns? You say, oh, that won't happen. Baloney! If sin is not checked, it grows. If disobedience is not checked, it grows. If it's not checked, excuse me, if it's not stopped, it grows. We have a great responsibility. A great responsibility. The whole thing was, Jesus said, love others as I have loved you. And one thing I'm impressed with as I study the life of Jesus is that at no time did Jesus ever mince words with anybody. He loved them and he even showed emotion at times. And we're going to talk about some of those times next week. That's one of the times he showed emotion, but through the emotion, he stuck with the commands that God gave him. I'm not saying that we cannot be emotional when we're dealing with people. We just can't let our emotions rule us. The Word is supposed to rule us. We can sympathize. We can even empathize. We say, hey, this is a hard truth. I, I, I know that. And I'm not just talking to a lot of you thinking, oh, he's talking about marriage, divorce, and remarriage again. Oh, yeah, I'm talking about, about a lot of other things, too. Tithing? The scripture that talks about the watchman on the wall, when he sees trouble coming, if he doesn't warn, it's his head. We have a great responsibility to love. And again, when somebody says to you, oh, but that's not loving, the way you've handled the situation, maybe. Maybe the way you count it. That's not loving. Go back to the definition. What is love? You say, no, old brother, what, Jeff, you're getting, you're getting legalistic now. No, I'm getting wordistic. I'm saying what the Word says. And when you say what the Word says, you don't have to worry about standing because the Word will stand forever. It is settled forever in the heavens. When you speak the Word, count on it. It's true. Like I said, emotions can come into it. And they need to come into it. When Jesus ministered, it wasn't always, Let's say the Lord, and he turned around and walked away. He got emotional. He cried in several cases. He felt badly for the people, but he also realized in feeling badly that they could change their situation by a decision. And that's what the Word said. If you decide to love me, I'll know you. If you decide not to love me, I don't know you. And love is obeying Christ's command. Remember that definition. Remember that definition. Some of you always wasn't loving. Think in your head. Was I obeying Christ's command? Was I obeying what God has told me to do? 
Now, how do you know if you're obeying what God's told you to do? Where do you find answers? Do you, before you go in to talk with somebody or you minister with somebody, do you just grab a hold of the horns of the altar and say, God, give me, fill me right now. I need some answers. I have no problem with asking for guidance by the Holy Spirit when talking to people. Well, I'll tell you what, if you've got the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, if you have prepared and your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, it's not just grabbing the horns of the altar. God, what am I going to say? Well, how do I handle this? You say, well, love is my first concern. And since I know what love means, it means obeying the commands of Christ, I'll say what Christ says. I'll say what Christ says. Wow, you know, could have had a V8. Amazing. Revelation. I'll say what Christ says. You know, that saves a lot of hassle. It saves a lot of sweat. Oh, Lord, what am I going to say? If you know the word, and the word's down here, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And when you speak the word, you will not go wrong. Knowing how to speak the word is a whole other ball, ball of wax. That's why the Holy Spirit says. That's why when you need to grab the horns of the altar. Don't get desperate. The Bible doesn't say you have to get desperate. The Bible says, ask for wisdom, and it'll be yours. And wisdom is the application of knowledge. Of the Word. Knowledge. Of the Word. You ask for wisdom, the Holy Spirit will show you how to apply the Word. So you'll be able to love. Christ is our example of love. He's the best example we're going to find of love anywhere. The word Christian, translated many different ways, one of its translations is little Christ. As Christ did, as Christ acted, as Christ said, that's what we're supposed to do. If you're a Christian. If you're not, don't worry about it. You know, when you're going to share the word, or share something with somebody, counsel them, whatever, and believe me, you know, I'm not saying this just for people who are quote-unquote ministering, because... If you're a Christian, you're supposed to be, and you know what else? This church is going to go boom someday, explosive growth. And they're going to say, hey, they've been here a long time. They ought to know the answer to this. And they'll come to you and they'll say, well, what about this? And you'll go ask Pastor Wes. Go ask Brother Ed. Go ask Kim. <laughs> you know? No. You're responsible to love. You're responsible to obey the commands of Christ. And you're supposed to know the Word. How can we live the example of the Christian life that, that Christ gave us if we don't know what Christ said? If we don't know what Christ did? The whole thing about being a Christian goes back to the Word. The Word. The Word. The Word. The Word. If you don't know the Word, you won't know how Christ reacted in certain situations. You won't know... You can pray all you want to, but if you don't know how Jesus would have handled something, you're out of luck. Unless the Holy Spirit's feeling really generous that day. Whenever you could come into a situation where you don't know what to do, think this thought. What would Christ do in this situation? How would Christ handle this situation? Now, if you don't know the word, you're going to find yourself sitting there, oh boy, I don't know. I don't know how, how he'd handle this situation. Spirit, tell me how he'd handle this situation. How would Jesus handle this situation? The Holy Spirit the whole time is saying, square one, square one. The Word. Go study the Word. You'll learn the principles. That's why I can't say enough. 
about the Institute in Basic Youth Conflict. I didn't say Bill Gafford seminar, did I? The Institute in Basic Youth Conflict. There are probably more concentrated truths and principles there than you'll probably get just about anywhere else. And I'll tell you what, preparation in the Word of God, I'm not going to praise you, beats divine revelation every time. You know that there is really no new revelation. The total revelation was in Jesus Christ in the Word. Everything we get today is illumination. The Holy Spirit takes a truth out of, might not be a quotation from the Bible, takes a truth out of the Word and says, here, I'm going to light this up for you. This is what it means. Wow. So sometimes people will come up to you and say, you know, I spent six hours in prayer and the Holy Spirit revealed this new truth to me. I go, oh, a new truth, huh? It's amazing. I spent five minutes in the Word and I saw that. Now, I'm not jumping on about jumping down people's throats about six hours in prayer. I'm not jumping down people's throats about six hours in prayer. We need more people who spend six hours in prayer. There's three responses here. Let's look at I see this in Jesus' life. Tonight we're going to look at some more examples, Lord willing, of Jesus' love expressed in a different way. Not quite so quiet, calm, and gentle. But this morning I want you to get these three truths down. When we're dealing with people, we need to do what Jesus did. Follow his example. Number one, we can sympathize. We can sympathize with the pain. Jesus did. He saw the pain that Mary and Martha and all the Jews were going through because of Lazarus' death. So raising from the dead. He still held firm. He still said, Lord, you know what we've talked about already. Jesus felt the pain for the rich young ruler. He sympathized. Man, that poor guy. I feel so sorry for him. He sympathized. He said, oh, Jerusalem, why, why? He sympathized with the person's pain and their condition. He said, I understand the pain. I understand the heartache, the brokenness here. The next step was to analyze. The Bible says is the cause what does the Bible say is the answer? This is so important to listen to the Holy Spirit here. In a lot of cases, you can't just come in and say, Lord says, Hurrah! and say, hey, I understand this is a hard truth, this is a hard thing to do, but I have an answer. Whether they receive the answer or not, you have to be like Jesus. I give anything if you would, Jerusalem, have allowed me to take under my eyes, but you didn't. I have to live with the consequence. I don't want you to have to. Don't, don't. I don't want you to have to. But you made the decision. The last, and this encompasses the whole, all three, to characterize, characterize Christ's response. And this is where the Holy Spirit comes in again. Father, in this situation, how would Jesus have acted? Now, I can remember back by knowing, because you know the scripture. Remember, that was one of the first things we have to do, is know the scriptures. Well, how would Jesus react in this situation? Now, Holy Spirit, this isn't exactly the same situation as Jesus had. Give me wisdom and insight and to know how to handle this particular situation. It's a matter of prayer. It's a matter of knowing the Word. It's a matter of seeking the Holy Spirit. Sympathize, analyze, and characterize. Lord willing, tonight we're going to talk about 
some other love in the way that Jesus loves people. It, at first glance, we would say, that's love. Yeah, we're going to show that Jesus loves with an everlasting love. Do you see the fact that love can be an emotion? It can be emotional. I can't say it can be an emotion, it's a decision, but it can be emotional. Jesus was emotional. Jesus cried. Jesus felt. Jesus hurt. He hurt for the people who rejected him and his word. That's exactly the way we're supposed to We're supposed to hurt. We're supposed to feel that Jesus never dropped his standard. Never dropped his standard. He hated the fact that Jerusalem had rejected God. He cried over that and lamented over that. But he said, now you're going to reap what you've sown. I wish I'd give anything if you wouldn't have to, but you have to because you decided that. That's love. Believe it or not, that's love. We're going to talk some more on the subject of agape love. Can anyone, without me revealing it on the overhead, can anyone tell me what the scriptural definition of love is? Obeying Christ's command. And where do we get that? What portion of scripture do we get that? Second John, verse 6. You see, you're going to need to know that. I'm asking you that because I'm not the one who needs to know it. Well, I do need to know it, but you need to know it too. We said that agape love was the love of the will. It wasn't the friendship kind of love where you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. The kind of love that will always do what's best for the other person. The God kind of love. And we said that this is the definition of love. A lot of descriptions flying around these days, but this is the definition. And you can clarify this definition by looking at the description. And for the last couple of weeks, that's what we've been doing. We went through and we said that we made the delineation. Again, I'll put this down that everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Everyone who obeys Christ's commands knows God and God knows them. They're saved. But they who know not, that love not, who don't obey the commandments, they don't know God. So until they come to the point where they love, to the point where they obey Christ's commands, they will not see salvation. Went on down and showed what, he, what the final result is. state of loving not is rebellion and the end result is eternal death. But this is the part I like to talk about more. The part is there's a submissive spirit that, yes, Lord, I will obey your commandments. I love you. I will obey your commands. Reward is eternal life and blessings down here on earth. You hear a lot of people today talk about the fact that, oh, yes, I'm waiting for that glorious eternal life by and by, but they forget about the blessings we have down here. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that uh, we have the blessings we have down here. Amen? Talked about Jesus as being our example. And the way Jesus did it, we talked about the fact that he never, it's never recorded in Scripture that he went to someone and said, I love you. Not anywhere in Scripture is it recorded where he said those three words, I love you. He showed it in his actions. And uh, actions speak louder than words. And all the way through the scriptures, we showed last week some of the ways that Jesus loves people, the way he loves us. Today we're going to talk some more about that. I want to, want to say one word of caution before I go any further. Actions speak louder than words, but actions can be deceiving. We remember that when Judas betrayed Jesus, he came in the garden, and what did he do? He kissed him. He came up and gave him a hug and said, oh, 
I love you, this kind of stuff, you know. He didn't say, I love you, but he came up and gave an expression of love. But it was obvious that there was no love there. Word of caution there. We say we're not supposed to love in word and in tongue, but we're supposed to indeed in truth love people. And when we obey Christ's commands and do all the things he told us to do in the scriptures, we'll be loving the other, pe other people. We talked last week about how we're to treat our enemies. And we only talked a little bit about that because we're not supposed to have too many enemies. But we will have enemies. So we had to touch on it. The last thing we talked about in the example of Jesus' life last week, we showed his gentle, compassionate, rather emotional side. Talked about the fact when he went to minister to Mary and Martha because Lazarus had died, he showed a great deal of emotion, a great deal of love that was expressed in the emotion, crying, groaning in his spirit. He felt very emotional about it. The woman caught in adultery felt badly about the fact that uh, all these people had come to accuse her and said, where are your accusers now? And she said, I have none. He said, well, neither do, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. The fact that we went through all the way through there was Jesus could get emotional. Jesus could feel for the other person. He could see them in their need and say, I really feel for where you are. But he never changed his standard. He always kept, maintained the standard that he had to receive directly from the Father. It wasn't a standard that he had made up on his own. He said, everything I get, I get from the Father. So he wasn't coming out with some new weird doctrine. He said, it's straight from the throne room. So last week we talked about the fact that Jesus loved people and he could feel compassion for them. The rich young ruler said he loved him, felt compassion for him, but he didn't change his standard. This morning I want to look at a different side of love. If we just looked at the passages we looked at last week, we get the wrong idea of Jesus. We would get the idea that he might be a little bit weak. A little bit weak. This morning I want to clear up the fact that Jesus was not weak. He was meek, but he was not weak. He had a standard to uphold. We talked last week about the fact that he was gentle, compassionate. This morning we're going to look at a different side of Jesus, but keep this in mind all the way through. Who loves us more than anybody? God, Jesus, loves us more than anybody. He loves the world more than anybody possibly could. Now, you'll look at some of these scriptures this morning and think, how in the world could somebody do that and say that they love them? Because it's not consistent with our idea of what love is. That's why we need to renew our minds. That's why we need to renew our minds. We've got this crazy idea of what love is in our head. Some of us do, some of us don't. Have this, this idea of what love is. And when we see something in the scriptures, we say, oh, how could that be love? I'm here to tell you, if God says it's love, it's love. Regardless of what you say, and if you don't agree with it, you need to renew your mind. Get in line with the Word. This morning, turn to John, the 6th chapter. John, chapter 6. Jesus was firm. He requires a choice. He was presenting his disciples with a choice here. We're going to look at it. Verse 56. He's talking to his disciples here. He says, He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, I live by the Father. So he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many therefore of his... Now check who this is. Many therefore of who? 
his disciples, his closest friends, his circle about him, those who were closest to him, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? The word hard there means stiff. This is a stiff saying. Well, that's, that's a hard word. Now, who can hear it? Who can hear it? I remember when I, the Christ for the Nations, there was a little, little old lady there, who's a teacher there, and she was an evangelist's wife for years. And she had a very rough little voice, and she was really short, and she'd come up you know, 8 o'clock in the morning when we'd have chapel, she'd come up behind the pulpit, and she was so short she couldn't see her until she was right here. And she couldn't see her coming up because the platform was raised a little bit. And at 8 o'clock in the morning, you might be sitting in your chair and you're just quietly praying in the Spirit and meditating on the Word. She'll come up and say, Can you receive it? Like this. You know, it's a very Pentecostal phrase. Can you receive it? Well, these guys were saying, We can't receive it. This is a hard thing. Who can hear it? Who can hear it? Have you ever tried to share a truth with somebody and they say, Well, I just can't receive that. I just can't receive that. That's what they were saying. They said, Lord, now, this is, pretty, this is pretty hard here. I don't know if we can take this. Uh, I don't think I can receive that. It doesn't witness with my spirit. I don't feel led. Well, let me tell you something. Something we learned this past week. We are supposed to operate out of our redeemed spirit. We're supposed to be spirit-controlled. But if we've got wrong ideas in our soul, in our mind, that's going to stop that flow of the spirit. That's why we need to renew our mind to what the Word says. When Jesus knew in himself that the disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Does this offend you? I'm sure he was really worried if it did. What and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. If we obey those words, we will have eternal life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. Now here's the interesting verse. From that time, many of the people that were just kind of hanging around went back and walked no more with him. His disciples. He lost some friends. These were the disciples. These weren't just people who were casually standing off to the side saying, hey, you heard this guy? He's got some interesting points here and worked a few miracles. It was the people who had already said, man, we're following this guy. Yeah, this guy's great. Yeah, he's, yeah, I'm on the committee here. This is the Jesus Christ Crusade. I'm uh, chief head usher here. They said that those people, the ones who were committed to him, supposedly, had finally run into a wall where Jesus said, you're going to have to obey this command too. And they said, whoops, that's a little hard, Lord. It's a hard saying. We can't receive it. They went back. Let me tell you something. When a disciple ceases to follow, he ceases to be a disciple. A disciple, the word disciple means an imitator or a follower. And when that stops happening, you stop being a disciple. I've, I've polished cars in the past. When I stop polishing cars, I'm no longer called a car polisher. When I stop going to school, I will stop being called a student. 
When you stop following Jesus Christ, you stop being called a disciple. You are no longer called a disciple because you're no longer fulfilling the requirements of that position. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Took off. Then Simon Peter answered him, Will ye also go away? We had the group of disciples here. We had a kind of a little closer group of 12. Jesus said, I've gotten a truth from the Father. I'm giving this truth to you. They've left me. And you're welcome to go too because I've gotten this from the Father and it's not going to change. It's not going to change. These friends over here, they left me. You're welcome to go too because I have it settled in my mind and in my spirit that the Father gave me a command and I don't care if everybody forsakes me, I'm going to be consistent. I am going to be faithful to what the Father's told me to do. Amen? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. The words of eternal life. Right there it is. Obeying Christ's words. Obeying Christ's command. The end result is eternal life. Thou hast the words, and if they're, if they're obeyed, you'll get eternal life. Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. More to it than that. I believe that many of those disciples there believed, the ones that left, believed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, but they weren't sure. They weren't sure. Peter says here, we believe and we're sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. We're positive. There is nothing that's going to shake us. Nothing. We're sure. We're convinced. You got your word straight from the Father. You gave it right to us. We know, we know the source, and we're sure that you're the Son of the living God. We're not turning our backs. I hope that's, that can be said of all of us. Go to chapter 8 in John. Jesus requires a choice. And sometimes, he got a little... Oh, he called some names. He told it like it was. We're going to see here that he was talking... Are you talking to the Pharisees here? Yeah. Verse 42 of chapter 8. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, if you were born of God, and if you knew God, you would love me. You would obey me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do ye not understand my speech, even because ye cannot hear my word? Now here's a real... You've got to question this. Now, how could he love him and tell him this? Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinces me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because you're not of God. He that is of God, who is born of God, who loveth God, will receive Jesus' command, will obey Jesus' command. If not, forget it. You have not eternal life dwelling within you. Plain and simple, cut and dry. You say, oh, now you're getting a little hard there, aren't you? Isn't there a little gray area? Do you have to be so dogmatic? That's divisive. Turn to Luke 12. Divisive? 
Oh, God, yes. Unity, and we will have unity. I'm not against you. I am so pro-unity, I can't tell you how pro-unity I am. But unity only comes when you come into like-mindedness that you are going to obey the commands of Christ. You're going to love at any cost. That's when unity comes in. The only time that unity will come in. Luke, the 12th chapter. Verse 51. Suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth, I tell you nay. Who's talking here? In my Bible, it's red letter edition. In my, these letters are red. Who said that? Jesus. Is that what Jesus said? Jesus' words? Boy, isn't that amazing? I tell you nay, but rather division. That's divisive. Absolutely. For from henceforth there shall be five in one house divided, three against two, and two against three, and the father shall be divided against the son, and the son against the father, and the mother against the daughter, and the daughter against the mother, the mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and the daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law. That sounds like a lot of division to me. Why would it be divisive? Because he required a choice. He required a decision. He says some will be able to receive it. Some will not be able to receive it. That doesn't change it. Some will receive the word, some will not receive the word. It doesn't change the word. And you know what the end result is? He'll tell you what the end result is right there. Families. Division in families. Because one member of the family says, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. I'm going to be a disciple because I am sure that he is the son of the living God and his words are the words of eternal life. And someone else says, well, I don't know. Right there is the division. And that division is not from the devil. Jesus said, I came to bring division. Now see, the division won't be there. The division won't be there if they all speak the same thing. If they all agree. If they say... I'm going to love Jesus. Are you going to love Jesus? Yes, I'm going to love Great. Is there any division there? No. That's all it takes is to say, I am going to love. I'm going to decide to love. It's a decision. I'm going to decide to love. I'm going to decide to obey Christ's command. There won't be any division. But Jesus said, expect division because not everybody's going to say that. Not everybody's going to say, I desire to obey Christ in everything he says. When you come to that point, the visual enter in. I wonder what some of us would do. Somebody came in here or into any church. They come busting through the front door. They come in here and they go back to the soundboard and they pull all the plugs out of the soundboard. They come up here and knock down the amplifiers, overturn the piano, overturn the, the communion table here, the overhead projector put their fist through the, the organ and knock over the pulpit and say, get out of here. You're not doing this right. We'd say, no. that guy, oh, he's divisive. He's not led of God. He doesn't love. What did Jesus do in the temple? I'm sure they were just as shocked as we would be. This guy comes in there with a scourge of cords and he starts whipping these guys right and left overturning their table. I mean, they had a profitable little business going there. They were comfy. I think the Holy Spirit needs to come into a lot of churches today and make people uncomfy, overturn their table. They were comfy where they were, but he came in, he overturned their table, 
He whipped those guys right out of there. And he hated them. Did he hate them? He loved them, didn't he? Try to let that soak in a minute. That's hard to figure out, isn't it? In the way we normally think. The way we normally think of love. That's different. That's the way Jesus loved. Uh, not promoting the fact that we bust through church doors, throw tables over. But there may be times that we have to upset people's apple carts. Maybe times that we have to throw the tables over. Let the money scatter out on the floor. And I'm sure that those people that were in the temple stared at him in amazement. What is he doing? Probably get the same reaction. But again, what I'm saying, I want to bring a balance here. Bring a balance. See, there are some people that will only hear this part of the message. Well, let's not tell those people, ah, let's go get them, come on, ah, let's go get them. You know, normally I would say that, that they probably would have the motivational gift of a prophet if they do that. But then we'd have those that would probably have the motivational gift of mercy who would like to maybe keep more with last week's part of the sermon where Jesus was gentle and compassionate. He didn't upset anybody's apple cart. He was firm, but he's compassionate. If we can take last week and this week, put them together, you've got a pretty complete picture of how Jesus loved. And he being our example, that's the way we're supposed to love. There are times to be gentle, to be compassionate, to not upset people's apple carts, to other, other times to come in with a scourge of cords and overturn the table. And the whole thing Knowing when. Knowing how. I want to give some guidelines to how to love here. If you're taking notes, it'd be good to do this. Number one, love will always distinguish between the sinner and the sin. Jesus being our example, again, I go back to the, the uh, thing about the rich young ruler. Jesus says, the scripture says Jesus loved him. But Jesus hated the sin. And the thing that Jesus hates has to go if we're going to be his disciple. Jesus loved the rich young ruler. He would have given anything if he would have followed him. But see, the thing, the rich young ruler wouldn't have given everything. And he didn't. Separate the sin from the sinner. Love the person. Love the person. Hate the sin. Jesus always loved the people, but he saw, the reason he hates the sin is because he sees what the sin's doing to the person. He sees the path they're headed. He says, the reason you're headed that way is because of the sin. Here, get rid of the sin. And you can start going this way. Headed toward eternal life. Submit. Head for eternal life. Don't rebel and go to eternal death. He hates the sin, but he loves the person. Number one rule of love. Separate between the two. Number two. Love always keeps emotions in their proper perspective. And they obviously have their place because Jesus was emotional. Not just in a gentle way. Two. He cried. He wept. He felt. When he cried over Jerusalem, he was lamenting. But he also showed emotion when he came into the 
temple and overturned the table. That was a different kind of emotion. And angry and righteous indignation. But we always keep it in its proper perspective. When we hear a situation that to us might seem terrible. Oh, how could that happen? And we're saying, dear God, you wouldn't do that to that person, would you? And he says, what does my word say? So that's what will happen to that person. Oh, but can't you make an exception in this place? No, my word's forever settled in the heavens, and I won't make exceptions. You can bawl, squall, cry, shout, scream. Word doesn't change. The pain of a situation does not change the fact and the truth of God's word. Repeat that. The pain of a situation does not change the fact nor the truth of God's word. It can be painful. Jesus felt for their pain where they were. We're to feel for the pain where they are. It doesn't change the fact of God's word. This is probably one of the most important things. Number three, love always seeks guidance from the Holy Spirit. And this has to do with the fact that we have an anointing. The Holy Spirit, which dwells within us, teaches us and brings all things to our remembrance whatsoever Christ has commanded us. Christ has commanded us. He brings it to us, to re He reminds us of it, in order that we might obey it. Now, we've heard of the phrase, grieving the Holy Spirit. When you don't obey it, that's what you're doing. He brings the truth up to you. Remember, this is what Jesus commanded you. Puts it in your mind. Hell, I know that, but, but you know, let's get away from that. You just grieve the Holy Spirit. He said, obey me. That's love. Knowing when. Timing is the crucial element here. Knowing when to share a truth and which truth to share when. Try to think of an example. Somebody who has a very broken, contrite spirit comes into the church and they have a problem with some habit. And God might reveal it to somebody. Or they, somebody might find out just by the grapevine or by watching them. Now you could do like Jesus did and come up and say, You're your father the devil! You generation of vipers, you hypocrites! You need to repent! Get it straight! The first book. That's where the leading of the Holy Spirit has to come in. That person may have needed a gentle admonition rather than a strong rebuke. Say, brother, the Lord has shown me, or I know of the fact that this sin's in your life. And I just want you to know that God recognizes it as sin. And I know that you want to do everything in your power to follow what the Lord tells you to do. And I feel it my responsibility as a brother in Christ to come along and let you know about the sin and beyond that to support you in repenting of that sin. To support you in the repentance of that sin. I cannot support you if you don't repent. But if your heart's toward God, I will do everything I can to restore you. The end of the gospel is restoration. Restoration. But, if 
Repentance comes first. Repentance, then restoration. Trying to restore somebody who hasn't repented is impossible. It's impossible to restore someone who has not repented. It can't be done. Repentance. First, when Paul was talking to the, to the Corinthians about that man in the body who was in immorality, he gave a hard word. He gave a lot of hard word in, in Corinthians about how to treat those who were in the body who were in known sin and would not repent. He says, separate yourself from him as much as excommunicate the man and turn him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. I'd be saying, sometime we're going to have to talk about what that entails. That's heavy duty big time. That's a hard thing. I mean, somebody really has to be in a bad way before you do it. But Paul said to do it. And the man did repent. The man did repent. And Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, now that he's repented, Restore that, brother. Don't keep up with your, yeah, you were a rotten sinner. By the grace of God, you're a sinner saved by grace. No. That's under the blood. You've been forgiven. Go on with God. And I'm here to encourage you and build you and help you in any way I can. Restore him. But, had he not repented, Paul's instructions in 1 Corinthians would not have changed. Still treat him the way that I told you to treat him. You know, the scripture says that if you see a brother walking in disobedience, willfully walking in disobedience, and you've gone to him, you've been treated him like a brother, you've gone with a witness, and you said, you know, this needs to be straightened out. And they don't. They know what the word says, and they're not willing to. You know what the word says to do? Not even to eat with them. Cease fellowship. Cease fellowship. I say, oh, that's not, that's not loving. That's not. Does the word command to do it? What's love? Obeying Christ's command? That's love. Don't tell me that's not loving. That's the word. Because you're not even supposed to eat with them. Why? Why are you doing that? Because you hate that person. Wrong. Because you love them. And you see where they're headed. And you're saying, this is why you're heading, heading there. It's not you. It's the sin that's sending you there. And if my actions can in any way bring about the change that's going to keep you from going the direction you're going, I'm going to do it because I love you. Might be hard. Might be very hard. Word says to do it. Obedience brings blessing. Obedience brings blessing. Love always has an open door. We just talked about that. Love always has an open door. At any time that you're willing to come and change your heart toward God. God, all the way through the Old Testament, said, if you will just obey me, if you'll just do the commands that I told you to do, I'll bless you. And if you don't, I'm going to have to let the curses come upon you. It's as simple as that. But he wanted them to be restored. He said, all the way through, Jesus, when he looked over the city of Jerusalem, 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 how many times would I have gathered you under my wings like a hen gathereth her chicks, but you would not. He leaves the decision to you. He leaves the decision to everybody. In this church or not in this church, everybody has a decision. 
God's not willing that any should perish, that all should come to what? Repentance. And that's what it takes. You can't be restored, you can't have eternal life, you can't be a, get the blessings of God until you repent. The end of it is restoration. Don't get the idea that God is up there saying, ah, I'm going to nail somebody. No! God wants everybody to live under the blessings. He wants everybody to live under prosperity. He wants everybody to, to be blessed by Him. He's a good God. But He's made some requirements that will not change. Never change. The whole idea is restoration. Look at our guidelines for that restoration. Some people might get scared at this and say, oh, He that loveth not knoweth not God. Boy, what happens if I just miss this little thing like this? The hard attitude. God's not going to say, I'm going to withhold convicting him from this sin so I can send him to hell. The Holy Spirit's there to reveal that to you. If you love God, you have an open heart to him, and say, God, at all times, all your Holy Spirit has to do is say, there it is, and it's yours. That attitude. And it might not be easy because sometimes God will point something out and you'll struggle with it for quite a while. But the attitude is, Father, at all costs, I want to be pleasing to you. That's the restoration. He says that perfect love casteth out fear. See, there is no fear of a relation, in our relationship with God if that is our love to Him. Our love to Him says, Lord, whatever your commands are, I'll obey them. There's no fear there. I'm not scared that God's going to zap me. As long as I stay obedient and have my heart attitude in obedience. Holy Spirit might point something out to me and say, Jeff, you need to get rid of that. I say, yeah, I know that. But as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him, that love him, and he'll chasten you until you give it up. And if you're not with chastisement, you're none of his. That's what the Holy Spirit's there for. That's why the Holy Spirit's there. The heart attitude must be, Lord... You name it, it's yours. You might struggle with it for a while, but it's yours. That's why there's no fear in love, in perfect love, complete love, complete obedience. The word perfect there, perfect love, the word perfect means complete. Complete obedience to Christ's commands cast out all fear. Probably never heard it interpreted that way, but that's what the word says. That's what the word says. Amen.